and welcome to part three of our Adam Jacoby interview. This is the last part, we promise, but we just did not want to have to edit out any of the stuff that we talked about because we genuinely enjoyed and wanted to share with you every single good bit that we could, which frankly was all of it. Woohoo! There, I got you back. Fair enough. Enjoy part three. I, you say you you had the I, face I, can, of I cannot let someone who is legitimately an international authority on congressional debate come to our podcast and not on behalf of me and other coaches in Wisconsin who are desperately clinging on to our Congress program, not attempt to do a short little pitch about why more coaches should try out congressional debate. And I know that there are fans of the podcast who will be trying out Congress for the first time this year with their teams. So I just like, if you can give us like 90 second pitch about why more schools should try it or like the benefits of doing it, that would be the best Christmas gift that you could give oh, to or, me. Or the grand idea that gets everybody doing Congress again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, I will say that any session of student Congress, congressional debate, whatever you want to call it, is now probably 100 times more inspirational than anything you will see happening in Washington, D.C. Um, and that comes back to my my hatred of things that are that are tribal. And I uh, really have to say shame on both parties for being so acerbic toward one another. And I, and I think there are factors outside the mainstream traditional parties that have pushed that further. Um, but it, it just, uh, but seeing young people come together, I, I think what excited me most about it and as a kid, I never did it. I did model UN. So I guess that's, that's close. Um, but I, it was actually Doris Sexton and Mary Wacker who basically said, well, if you're doing NSDA qualifiers in Milwaukee, you have to bring some kids to this because it's it's part of how we get our numbers up. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. It's that same little eighth grader who was handed the Gettysburg Address and told he had to deliver it. And, you know, I was told by the authorities in the Southern Wisconsin NFL district that- You do we, not say no to Mary Wacker and no, Doris Sexton. You just no. don't. So um, I, I was like, well, I'm not going to just throw my kids in. In not having, you know, any knowledge of what to do. So I went and uh, went to an invitational. There happened to be one at nearby Nicolay High School, um, where at the time Bev Kingma was the coach and she was also a, another big Congress guru. Uh, so I, I witnessed it. I'm like, this is really cool. It's really uh, interactive. The kids all seemed really engaged. Um, and at the time, it was it was very lighthearted. Um, I think Wisconsin Congress has professionalized some in the years since. But there was one early Congress I took kids to where the kids all took on characters and they were all food themed. So one was Senator Cheesy Poof. One was Representative Flamin' Hot. I mean, Congress at the time was was just really loosey-goosey. There was a bill to exile all men to one island and allow women to inherit 
inherit the United States, uh, which actually yielded some interesting debate from an ideological standpoint, which was great. Um, but, you know, at some point, it what's the climate on that island? That's yeah. <laughs> uh, right. I could be talked into it. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Congress formalized. And, and I was glad to see that. In fact, um, I think my kids, uh, not to be too full of myself, but I think my kids were were somewhat to blame for it. And and the reason I say that is we were at an invitational Congress. I think we were up here, in fact, at, at Sheboygan. And a kid from another school came up to me and says, Mr. Jacoby, why are your kids so anal retentive about parliamentary procedure? I'm like, oh, they weren't rude about it, were they? And they're like, <laughs> no, no. They're the ones who actually know what they're doing and run a good chamber when they're presiding officers. How dare. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> but I mean, that was a supreme compliment to me. And I think Part of it was at the time I was working at Milwaukee City Hall as a legislative aide. And as an intern, I had been an assistant sergeant at arms. And so I had learned a lot about parliamentary procedure from that job. And in fact, the alderman I worked for used some procedural maneuverings to basically fix an issue that um, had gone on the down on the wrong side of social justice Um in my humble opinion, um, and use procedure to his advantage to mm. really help people. Um, and, and then the ultimate result of that was, was a lot better. But um, I think the fact that it's a more social activity because the kids interact, it's, it's the tr- most pure form of problem solving that I see kids doing because there are two sides of an issue, but there are, you know, about half of the room advocates on one side of the issue, half of the room advocates on the other side of the issue. So there are elements of both collaboration and competition in play simultaneously. And I think there's something so beautiful about that because you are building upon the arguments of your peers on the same side, but you're also trying to like put yourself out there as the best legislator um, in, in terms of how you rank and everything else. And and so there's there's just something really paradoxical and beautiful about that at the same time. And then there's the analytical side of debate that balances with the rhetorical side of, of delivery. It's a one debate event where, you know, you're role playing. And so you're expected to comport yourself as an elected official would. And so you use certain role playing language like your constituents and, you know, the best interests of the citizens in my home district, things like that, you know, and, and so kids learn so so many different skills simultaneously by doing congressional debate. I can't say enough good things about it. And and I will say that my kids who even dabbled in it went on to supremely successful careers and will often point to their involvement in Congress as probably being one of the most real world skill sets that they cultivated in forensics. Whereas in real life, when we give presentations, we don't walk in triangles, you know, but they're such pretty triangles. I know. know. And I love, I love when they're congruent, but no. um, And you know, and when we're, when we're, when we're telling a story about something that happened to us casually at the dinner table, we don't pop between the characters. Well, okay. I mean, some of, of my us friends, do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to say some of us who were former competitors never can uh, totally shed that. But, you know, th- there are little things that we do in, in other aspects of our activity that are very formulaic and you play the game because that's what you see other people doing where it's successful. Um, but by the same token, I think, you know, something that's a lot more organic and real world 
world is is really helpful for kids and keeps them keeps them balanced, keeps them honest, and and I like that. So everyone should do Congress now. Yes. Well, please. so is our model of Congress representative of what the rest of the nation does? The fact that we do it on a separate day. Um, no. Um, are but, we hurting ourselves? We're hurting that. I can speak for myself. At North High, we are hurting ourselves in Congress. I can't take kids to Congress on Fridays. I think now we're hurting ourselves. I think mm -hmm. there was a time and a place where the Friday model was actually helpful. And I think increased participation um, because it allowed the forensics kids to also do this in addition. I think as schools have diversified in what they offer for kids as opportunities, it has constricted the amount of available time they have to do things. And so I do think that offering it separate right now is hurting it. As I've talked to coaches anecdotally around the state, I think trying to offer it on Saturday in tandem with the tournament would be helpful. Um, you know, maybe trying it during the debate season as a, an additional debate category, although I know that's been tried on occasion. I don't know. I don't have the answer. But, you know, maybe maybe it's it's something that's offered occasionally and, and hmm. kids can depart from their normal category. I think whatever happens, having the experience I have in the WFCA world, um, and so I'm putting that hat on right now, um, I think that as long as there's value to it in terms of can it contribute meaningfully to sweepstakes, um, I, I think coaches will be more embracing of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think it'll all, always suffer the stigma of being something different, like group discussion was. And I think that that, that whole weird, like it's two rounds and you have one judge for round one, one judge for round two, and one who stays for, for both, you know. Um, and ironically, it was the most Congress-like event in the speech menu that, mm -hmm. that we had. I mean, I did it for two years and I miss it. Um, and, you know, having taught a broad field speech communication course where we do small group communication. It's such an educational thing. Um, but, you know, I, I think that I think the word debate has a stigma to it. And it oh, doesn't 100%. We've talked about that on the podcast before, too. Like, yeah. we just every time that someone thinks of debate, everyone automatically thinks of a policy debater spreading a 1AC as quickly as humanly possible and the angriest voice and they're doing that weird leaning hand gesture and they're doing those breaths and that's not that's not at all representative of what debate is across the board. No. And especially not in our state. No. And, and it just, it, it frustrates me. When, when I did the speech comm class at Rufus King, which didn't have any of my forensic kids, in fact, um, my predecessor, my high school coach, got a rule written in where kids who did forensics for three or more years could um, – could exempt out of the public speaking class requirement for graduation. So, uh, so anyway, I, I taught a bunch of non-forensic kids, which was a nice, refreshing um, difference from, from the kids I'd work with after school. Um, but I would always start with a unit in debate before I would move on to public speaking. And I did that because they had a partner with them in the front of the room. And anyone who's nervous about public speaking, well, if you have somebody there, even if physical close proximity to you who has prepared with you and can slide you little notes to remind you to say things. It's a lot less daunting to then speak in front of a group of people solo. And I think that's so powerful. And, and, you know, and, and 
I taught debate to kids for whom English was not their native language when I was in China. And, you know, the, the, and in Chinese culture, saving face and, and how you project yourself publicly is so important. And you, you cannot do anything to embarrass yourself. So for the kids to take this on and to do it, I, I was just so impressed by their resolve and their willingness to take risks. And it wasn't easy for a lot of the kids. I had one kid um, whose English name was Arthur, who um, he was he worked so hard and worked so hard on his debate research and everything in my class and was so nervous to get up and in front of few people and speak because he was worried he would mispronounce some of his words mm-hmm. in English. And I'm like, don't worry about that. It's, you know. But uh, yeah, and it, you know what? It goes back to what you talked about very, very early in our conversation. If you can communicate the idea, if you can internalize it, it doesn't matter if you get those things wrong. Yeah, and you know what? When you're an audience member, and I learned this from from coaching in China and then judging, I struggled sometimes because not only were these kids not speaking English as their native language, but they learned from people who hailed from the British heritage, from Australian heritage, from, you know, Canadian heritage. So when I judge debates, I could have a, a team of students who were who learned English from an Australian paired up against a team of students who learned English from a Brit. And gosh, not only would I have to listen to English as spoken by a non-native speaker, but in an accent that was different than my English accent of heritage. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I really had to listen hard and work hard. I mean, mentally, I would be so much more fatigued after judging around in China because I was working so hard on listening uh, critically, you know, so I wouldn't miss anything because these kids were working so hard. I owed it to them to give them every bit of energy that I had as a judge, you know. Yeah, that's so. great. So, yeah, go Congress. Yeah. Let's figure this out, Wisconsin. Yeah. Amen. And, you know, I, I, I've i done workshops all all around the country with coaches on how to coach Congress. And and if anyone ever wants to pick my brain, just go to whsfa.org and contact me and you know, and I'm willing to do that just as an outreach thing to help the vitality of the activity grow. Let's Excellent. do it. Don't be scared. Before we let you go, I want to talk to you about that lovely husband of yours. Ah. He is an academia, like you're an a uh, forensics person. Is this a love story made in forensics world? It is. In the world of debate? Ah. It is. Yeah. So um, <laughs> the fall of my first year working for NSDA, so I had only been there a matter of a few months, um, I was sent to Houston to exhibit for Now Debate. Now Debate This. Uh, Just hands every time. I love it so much. Okay, so, so um, and and um, the, our philanthropic sponsor had paid for a booth at the National Council of Social Studies, and so I was at the Houston Convention Center doing that, and and Scott won in his infinite wisdom as as the exec director there, said we need to make every trip any one of our staff members takes have as much value embedded in it as possible. So for that trip, it meant in addition to exhibiting for the now debate this project. I also met with all of the NSDA district chairs in the greater Houston area. And there's, there were three districts. Mm-hmm. Well, Scott was one of the district chairs. So uh, he was at the breakfast. There was a longtime coach there who was full of personality, which 
translate that tact to mean he dominated the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but Scott kind of nodded. Again, so very rare in fr- the Never world happens. No forensics. one's like that. We're yeah. all so reserved. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, listen, think, think. then speak. Yeah. So, you know, and, and that's exactly what Scott did um, during the meeting. And so this other chair is blah, 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 blah. And then Scott opens his mouth and outpours this, this amazing wisdom. And I'm like, wow, this guy is quite the leader. And, and, you know, I, I was impressed with him, but that was that, you know, and I went along my merry way, you know, the other chair who had dominated the conversation was my ride to the airport then, you know, and I, (laughs) and I left town and, uh, and, and didn't think too much of it until I then was sent as an envoy of NFL and SDA to the NIETOC, the or NITOC, as it's often called, which is an individual events tournament of champions. Um, and the inaugural one was held in the greater Los Angeles area. And um, there Scott was standing in the courtyard. And I still remember seeing him, the sun kind of gleaming in, in his hair. And, you know, and I and I think that's when that spark really kind of hit me that mm-hmm. this was somebody that I not only admired, but that I felt something for. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think I, I had even admitted it to myself at that point. But um, I, as I look back on that, it makes so much sense. He had just come out publicly on Facebook. Um, the fall prior to that um, and, and and was dealing with that whole coming out process mm-hmm. um, and um, and going through a messy divorce and, you know, um, dealing with, you know, the custody of his kids and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was a tough time in his life, but he had resolve. And then not too long after that, he um, he became something of an Internet famous um, meme. Uh, so he appeared on on Reddit and then BuzzFeed as um, one of like the twenty five teachers who had the last word, or you know, teachers who were you know, you know, had had done something pretty phenomenal in their classrooms. So. They were having a discussion in his professional communications class, which is, again, a broad field, whatever, non-speech and debate class, and uh, about uh, same-sex marriage at the time. And um, one of his students said, well, gays kind of – gays scare me, kind of like clowns. And so the next day, Scott came to class dressed as a clown and then made this point in a lesson about, you know, clown rights and clown benefits and and all that kind of stuff and used the clown as a metaphor for, you know, the the LGBTQ struggle and and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, movement for marriage equality. And and so he actually still uses that unit today in the classes where he teaches future teachers at UW-Lacrosse as as a way to get them thinking about diversity and, and, and the struggles that are students could be facing that we may not be aware of until the clown comes out <laughs> yeah, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and comes to play. And of course, the, do you remember last fall when there was that creepy clown mm-hmm. thing going oh, on? of course. So then Scott had to modify the lesson last fall where he brought all of his clown paraphernalia in a big shopping bag and literally dressed as the clown in front of the students so that, you know, they wouldn't be triggered or anything like sure. that. Yeah. Um, in terms of anxiety. So anyway, um, and then I, I think the, the thing that really brought us uh, closer together was I had reached out to the programmer 
of the Joy of Tournament software when NSDA merged the middle school national tournament, which I had run independent of the high school tournament, with the high school tournament, Mm -hmm. um, starting with the 2011 year in Dallas. And uh, I reached out to the JOT guy and I said, who do you know as a coach who's really proficient with your software and would make for a really good tab person? And he gave me two names. One of them was Scott. I'm like, oh, I know him. And so I reached out and and asked him to serve in my tab room. (laughs) Little did I know, every time I was walking past him, he and... um, the lady who eventually became our our wedding officiant were giggling because they were talking about you know my my little quirks and the way I walked and how you know how attracted Scott was to me and blah blah blah. But this that, is so cute. But that he, they didn't know if I was gay or anything like that. So it just kind none of, of us knew. We were all in the dark. Right, right. Um, so I hear from everyone who says, "Well, it's about time you came out." Um, and so um, <laughs> that's just rude. Yeah, yeah legitimate. Like right. Guys. But um, no, I, so it, that just went on for a couple of years. And then I, I, as I began to feel more attracted to Scott, he found a different co-tap person who was then one of the readers at our wedding. And um, they would just be giggling and full of fun and life. And I always felt attracted to that. So I would always go and sit near where they were tabbing in the tab room and do my work because I loved that energy, you know, but for some odd reason, and, and now I look back and laugh, but for some odd reason, every time I'd come, they'd stop laughing and like shush themselves. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, this is, you talk about too taboo for the tab room. They have some stories. Oh. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, uh, then we need to sit next to them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Come sit by me. Um, but no, and, and then um, it was finally when I came back from China. Um, I know that, and and part of the reason I never broached anything with Scott is he was in a long term relationship with a guy that they he was engaged to, um, and needless to say there were all kinds of issues that um, that they were facing, and so they broke up while I was in China, and um, and and it was just I could tell it was painful for Scott, and mm-hmm. Scott's very much a big social media guy, so a lot of his stuff is out there, and and so he was struggling. And every so often I'd send him an encouraging message. Again, it was more of a platonic friend thing. But then I got back from China and I was in a really short, like month long relationship. I fell really hard for a guy. Um, and then he dumped me rather abruptly. Um, and he Screw just, him. well, he was like, this is moving too fast. And, you know, and he's like, you're too established in your life. And I haven't figured things out yet. And, you know, and it, that was probably for the best. Um, because then I reached out to Scott on Facebook and I'm like, this is so frustrating. I don't know how you do it. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, gosh, it's so funny. You're reaching out to me about this. You know, you probably didn't know this, but I've had the worst crush on you for the longest time. And when he wrote that to me, my heart skipped a beat. I was like, Oh my God, I kind of feel the same way about him. And so we we were in this playful but not very direct dialogue. And then he's like, Well, when am I gonna see you next? And I'm like, I don't know. He's like, Well, will you be going to night talk? I'm like, well, that's in I am now. <laughs> well, that's exactly what it was. It was in Mankato, Minnesota. The semester I got back from China um was spring semester of 2014. And uh 
and I didn't have a regular job at the time. I was in between things. And and NSDA had brought me back on board on a part-time basis to help prepare for the tournament and all that kind of stuff. But I had a lot of flexibility at the time too. Um, and so literally I interviewed for the executive directorship of WHSFA. And then the next day I hit the road for Mankato, Minnesota, and they, they had their thing at Gustavus Adolphus College in St. Peter. And um, I, I got to the room and I saw Scott from across the room. We kind of smiled at each other. But then a bunch of people, came, you know, like he was way on the other side of the room and a bunch of other people I hadn't seen in a while were like, Adam, what are you doing here? Blah, blah, blah. So I, I'm like <laughs> mentally pushing. People. I know. Right. We're just like, move. But I thought it was also kind of playful. So then I took my time in getting over to Scott and finally I did. And we were just kind of like flirting with each other big time. And he's like, well, where, where are you staying tonight? And I'm like, I don't have a place. Um, I figured I'd just find a coach who had a spare bed because everybody he always does in mm -hmm. these double rooms and he says well it just so happens i do you know <laughs> so, just so happens so we literally oh, forensics romance i love it we stayed up like all hours of the night just talking mm -hmm. laying on beds side by side you know uh, across the room from each other mm -hmm. and then we were like okay well it's time to go to sleep shut the light off and neither of us had slept a wink um, because there was all this like energy, energy and tension. Yeah. And, and then um, I, we broke the those ice. early days. I know. Crush, we broke the, the ice phase. the next moment with our first kiss. The Aww. next morning, I mean. And uh, and then the rest, as they say, was history. So Aww, congratulations. Yeah. That's, that is such a great story. Those are such goals. How did the proposal happen? <laughs> um, so not too long after that, actually. Um it, it's funny because we were talking then like daily um, and we were just like, when you know, you know, mm -hmm. you know, like it was just and and we had built up enough of a friendship to that point where we were just really comfortable with each other yeah. and everything else. So Scott invited me down to Houston to spend the weekend. It was Memorial Day weekend. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the first Memorial Day weekend. I'm not at NCFL. Right? I, I was going to say, why weren't you at National? Yeah, <laughs> I know. So, uh, you know, I, I, I flew to a different destination. In fact, I was at the airport with a couple other Milwaukee area teams at the time, ironically enough, and wished them luck and everything else. So I got down to Houston. Scott's like, before I got there, he's like, well, what do you want to do when you're in Houston? And I'm like, I want to see it through your eyes. What you like about the city, all that kind of stuff. And then always the right answer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was just a fairy tale whirlwind weekend. It was yeah. just, and, and he remembered little tidbits of things that I had said I liked and made sure we went did those things mm -hmm. and i mean he I, I i come out of security at the airport and he's wearing a little top hat holding my name on a little Aww. placard you know and he's he does this like grandiose little bow and and you know just says welcome to houston mr jacoby and you know it's just it, it was the cutest thing and, and and we um we were then we went to this um little artsy fartsy place called the stained glass pub and it had like all these tiffany lamps all over it it was just mm. a beautiful place and you know it, it was toward the end of the weekend and and i think we were both just kind of swept up in the moment and i just turned to him 
and I was wearing a clada at the time, the the Irish um, ring with the the heart on it. Sure. And uh, and and I gave it to him, and I and I told him that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with him, and and um, oh. couldn't see myself being with anybody else. And uh, and and so that was a proposal. But then we didn't go public for a while. I I was. Um, I, I was just newly minted into this position that, you know, became my job, you know, and and hadn't even started yet, quite frankly. Um, And I didn't know what to think about the board and everything else. So I I waited and I and I came out to a select group of of members of the leadership of the board after my first board meeting as executive Mm -hmm. director. And I just said, I feel you should know this. I um, am engaged. And so this will become public, you know, and, and, you know, I was worried about the organization, you know, which I guess any executive director does. And they're like, "Um, so. You know, and right. and the entire board has been so embracing of me and my family. They're they're always asking about how things are going. Um, so Scott, you know, <laughs> once we were engaged, began looking for employment here, and he was just finishing up his doctoral program um, at Texas A and M University, and it was all but dissertation um, by the end of his last school year in Houston. So um, an academic staff position opened up at UW-La Crosse. Um, trust me, we had looked at Ripon College. We had looked at <laughs> Oshkosh. You right. know, there's major hiring freeze across the UW system, but there was enough of a need at La Crosse that they had to have somebody. And so he got that job and we got a really tiny efficiency apartment in La Crosse. And he would come here for weekends and I would go there for weekends. And we spent that first semester, especially, you know, just commuting back and forth and kind of a long distance marriage, you know, because yeah. at that point we were married. And then um, then the, I think the most miraculous thing um, in our family happened, and that's that um, Scott's youngest, Ethan, came to live with us. Um, Ethan is on the autism spectrum and, you know, was just not feeling it in Texas and was really suffering from some some bullying issues and all that kind of stuff. So um, we made the decision to bring him up to live with us. And so he literally slept on an air mattress in the living room of the apartment in La Crosse for a couple of months before we could move into a larger space where he has his own bedroom now. And, uh, and then when that move happened, I moved my personal stuff from Ripon to lacrosse and, and kind of telecommuted and, yeah. and WHSFA's office remained in Ripon for a year. And I, I would visit a couple of times a month and, and work from here and then go home for the weekends and that kind of stuff. And, you know, then when there were times where Scott had to travel for a conference or something, I always made sure I was home for Ethan and everything else. So you know, I commuted and and at the spring board meeting, the board's like, you know, I'm like, I, I felt guilty about asking to move the office yet again, mm-hmm. you know, from Ripon to Lacrosse. And they're like, don't feel guilty. This is your family. Your family comes first. That's and so the nice. office needs to be where the executive director. Well, and you're the office, right? Well, me and a part-time assistant. Okay. So, so yeah. yeah. And my part-time assistant in Ripon was a former student of mine twice over. 
um, both at Rufus King and then at Ripon College. So I was also protecting her. You know, sure. I, I wanted to make sure she was gainfully employed and everything else. But at the end of the day, the the board also wanted to change the configuration of the position. Um, they scaled back the hours. Um, you know, we didn't see a point to having that position staffed over the summer months, you know, to be more responsible with our membership, mm-hmm. you know, monies that, that we're spending. So um, that that made it infeasible for you know, the person to continue in that role. So, you know, the move to lacrosse coincided with a new hire for that. And, and I think that's been for the best for all involved. I, you know, my, my former students now working full time at, at Ripon college and, you know, and now gets full insurance benefits and everything I assume is as part of that. So right. it's much better than what we were able to offer her anyway. So. Sometimes things work out because they're meant to. Exactly. So that's exciting. Well, congratulations on everything. Yeah, yes. thank you. Thank you for taking the time to come here. I know we've tried so many times yeah. But I think it, I definitely can say it was worth it. Yes. Well, thank yeah, you. and I'm glad it happened when it did because we got to hear all about the amazing things that have happened in your personal life as well and yeah. uh, and how that all ties back to forensics. And your insight has been just really excellent to hear. So well, thank you. I hope you'll, you'll come back sometime in the future when there are other things to talk about. I'm Absolutely. sure there are some. Yeah. I will be proudly donning my friend of the pod swag as as soon as I can get my hands on it. Go merch. Go merch. Go merch. Forensic Spaces is recorded and edited in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Our theme song was written and performed by JJ Hammeister. If you're a fan of Forensic Spaces, give us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Find more info at ForensicSpaces.com or connect with us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Forensic Spaces. I'm Kurt. And I'm Melissa, encouraging you to listen, think, and speak. Preferably in that order. Preferably in that order.